Good evening and welcome to episode 15 of Total Football Debate. Another international break has passed, thank goodness. The transfer window is now closed and the Premier League resumes again this weekend. So we will be discussing the transfer window. We will be discussing what we think of the business that's been done. Has your club done enough? The international break, for me, it came and went, but I suppose we better you know, cover off England and gloriously it's coming home again. Two wins. And of course, we will have a look at this weekend's fixtures and give our preview. Bit of a switch up in formation today. Scott, unfortunately, is not able to join us. He is okay, he's just taking some time out, so he will be with us again next week. So I am joined by yours truly. Welcome back, Rookie. Good evening there, Jason. We're rolling just me and you tonight. I mean, yeah, I mean, big shoes to fill, mate. Big shoes to fill. I don't know if I could fill his shoes, but I'll give it a good go. I don't want to bring the wittiness, but I'll definitely bring the controversy. You said it, mate. You said it, not me. me. How's your week been? Not bad. Full weekend when there's no Premier League. Find myself at three o'clock going, what do I do with myself? I have to go and look for other internationals. I'm like, oh, that's not as exciting. No, exactly. Well, let's kick it off then. I mean, it's been a fairly quiet week, all things considered, but let's cast our minds back to the transfer window. Another summer gone, another summer of spending across the Premier League. Um, The total spend across the league this year stood at 1.4 billion, just a measly figure, um, compared to 1.31 billion last window. So... A lot of talk about a flat market and a pandemic, but I would think a lot of clubs will be happy about the prices and the business they've done. There were some headlines. There were some big, big headlines. Um, I guess the biggest one, which was kind of saved for last, but well, who'd afford it, eh? Ronaldo back in the Premier League. Two-year deal at United. The reunion that we thought was going to be over at the blue half of uh, Manchester is... Um, well, it ended up being the red half. Whether that was through desperation or an actual want, we, we will see. But, well, I guess it's only fair we start. I mean, there were some headline signings, but let's start from getting your opinion, Cookie. So, you're an Arsenal fan. You're actually probably the busier clubs in the transfer window. What are your thoughts? I mean, they're all average, didn't they? Let's be honest. I mean, they made a deadline day signing, as predicted. With uh, Tommy Asu coming in to cover right back, he can play in the centre. He can play right back, as presumably. Until I did my research on him, talk me through it. So Arsenal, as you mentioned there, so you know, let's just we'll, we'll just cover this because Arsenal warranted the biggest spenders of the transfer window: 156 million spent, 156.8 spent big across the board, invested seemingly the strategy was in younger players, but I'll just give you a quick rundown here. So we had Tavares in from Benfica, Lokonga from Andalette, uh, Biraf from Fulham, Ben White, the big £50 million uh, defender signing, Udegaard from Madrid returned, Ramsdale from Sheffield United, and uh, as Cookie just mentioned there, Tomiyasu from uh, Bologna. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts. There's big money spent across the board there. For me, um, and I'm sure for many neutrals, it's hard to relate as to what the strategy is. I've noticed um, a snippet from an interview with Edu that you covered off on Twitter last week. From an Arsenal fan perspective, what's the thinking? What are the thoughts? Happy? Unhappy? Can you see the sense of direction? The thing is, us as Arsenal fans are going to have to strap in for a very, very long period of mediocrity and having to support these that they are kids because every single sign and I think we're under the age of 23 as Edu mentioned about three or four times in his interview so Mm. the strategy is we're buying them young and trying to you know help them kick on in a tougher league you know I mean they mentioned Laconga was captain of Anderlecht at 21 years old which is quite a big role for someone of his age and he looks promising from what I've seen so far you know Odegaard we know all about on the YouTube sensation to get a big move when he moves around Madrid 
hopefully now he's got a permanent deal at Arsenal, he will settle a little bit. Tavares, we all knew, was a cover and left back for when Tierney goes off injured. Ben White, I mean, we've said this three or four times, I think, on the previous episodes, he, he's well overpriced. But that's the English tax for you. Ramsdale, I mean, I still look at Sam Johnston at West Brom as a better alternative if you're going to spend that money on a goalkeeper to compete for the number one spot. And as I've already mentioned, Tomiyasu, I mean, is he a right back? That's, that's debatable. So collectively, it doesn't impress me. And that he is thinking of two or three years' time where we're going to be compete. We'll be competing, unfortunately, in the middle of the table. It's interesting, isn't it? And we, we spoke a lot about Arsenal the last few weeks, um, and Arteta, and whether or not he's the guy to take the club forward if they're doing the right things. And you know, on the face of it, clearly they've got a strategy. But I mean, the results side of it is just a mess at the moment. There doesn't seem to be any confidence at all across the club. How they get um, helped when you have Chelsea and Man City in your first three games? No, no, there is that. There is that, of course. Um, and it's interesting because I look at the outgoings for Arsenal and there's one thing we haven't touched on yet that ended up being quite a big talking point on deadline day. But you look at the players that have gone out. So you've got Hector Bellerin, who um, is still, I think, only 27, if I'm not mistaken. He's still... Yeah, you know, 27. Yeah, 27 now, yeah. amazed me, to be honest, because it seems like he's been around forever. Reese Nelson's another one who's gone out alone again. Lucas Torreira, who hit the ground running and then seemingly was unfancied, which, mm-hmm. from an outside looking in, who's a close follower of Syria, I found that quite strange because I thought he was actually yeah. quite well suited to the Premier League. Joe Willock, obviously big money for him from Newcastle, 25 million. He ended up being their only signing, but seemed to have some promise in pre-season and obviously showed he could do the business in a in a you know limited Newcastle team. That's no disrespect to them. William Salaber, another one that is talked about on the periphery a lot, but you know, centre back, a problematic position. Um, he seemingly has gone out again on loan. So yeah, it's, it's a strange one. And then there's the deadline day. The one player that we thought was going to be on that outgoing list that turned out not being was uh, Maitland-Niles. And um, he's still at the club. But for me, it just showed clearly there's problems at Arsenal. And I don't know if it comes down. I mean, for Maitland-Niles to be desperate to just want to come out and play and then take to social media, for me, it made me think, well, is it Edu? Is it the director of football? Is it the, the board? Or did the Maitland-Niles situation perhaps show a bit of naivety by way of man management on Arteta's part? Because mm. for all intents and purposes, he was on the England periphery, you know, last year before the Euros. He went to us from on loan. Obviously, he did OK in, a, in what was a poor team. I think he played fullback for, for England when he was uh, playing for England and he impressed there. It's a problematic position for Arsenal at the moment. So he seems like that he would be at best, if not a starter, but a decent competitor. Because we talk about starting 11, but in every team, you're, you, you need competitive substitutes, right? And you need to keep that competition level up. But then you look at players like Shaka, who can play centre mid. Maitland Niles is perfectly within his rights. If midfield is the position he wants to play, to say, I, I should be in with a chance of Shaka's place here. So Look, I'm not going to turn this into an Arsenal podcast, but for me, it just highlighted on Arsenal's part that there's still a fair few problems and there's still some good potential youngsters that have got season experience now that have seemingly been let go. So we will watch the soap opera progress, I'm sure. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, your thoughts overall then. So if we're rating Arsenal's window, since they are the top spenders, what what, what are you saying? What are you giving it? Oh, I'd give it a C-. minus. I mean, you don't even mention the fact that we had to buy out William's contract. Oh, and it made it seem like he was done a fa- he'd done us a favour. I mean, you didn't even mention that. But yeah, well, I've got a, a C minus for me. I mean, it's just it's mediocre. Unfortunately, it's going to be one of those seasons where you know the kids are going to play well. They're going to drag us through the mud, as it were. Just as long as they play as a team. And they are fighting in games where if you go 1-0 or 2-0 down, to have that energy and spirit and team and competitiveness 
that's all I ask for this year. It's the old cliche, you learn more when you lose. And I just hope that they're going to expect a few more losses than usual. Well, I say usual, the last two years have been terrible. But now, as, as a standard now, we're having to hit the reset button and just hopefully in a couple of years' time, we see the other end of it and we get the benefits. And a, and a quick one, just to wrap up on Arsenal there. Arteta, is he the right guy to get the best out of that team? Is he the right guy to push you forward? I think he lacks the experience and he needs a bit more man management skills, personally. I, I'm, I'm more... There's other managers out there that can manage the situation better. Yeah, heard it here first. There we go. A measured Arsenal response right there. So we're not going to go through the individual teams because we would be here forever. But so mm. Arsenal, the headline makers, if you take the cluster of the kind of top four teams, you then had United, City and Tottenham, I'll include in there begrudgingly, um, and Liverpool as well. Between them, some headline makers. So Tottenham invested big at the back. They got Christian Romero uh, from Atalanta for big money. He was their big money signing. It's in a deadline day signing. Emerson Royale from uh, Barcelona as well. So handful of signings there. Move for Troy didn't materialise, as reported. Come to Chelsea and the talk of the window there was they needed a striker. They needed something to kind of complete them. Obviously, Werner hasn't quite worked out as they had hoped yet. There was a ton of outgoings. Um, but Lukaku filled the void up top and a dramatic, out of nowhere, really, deadline signing, Sal Niguez from Atletico Madrid. So Chelsea fans, I imagine, would be pretty happy with that. City, obviously the big one. Jack Grealish, everyone was talking about it, I think, for the whole summer. There was no getting away from it. He comes in, fair to say, he's made quite the um, impact um, and he was actually City's only signing, the much-debated transfer of Harry Kane, which I'm sure Cookie will sit here and tell me, I told you so. <laughs> um, never thought we'd be in a position to say that didn't happen, but it didn't. So, talking points there. Striker, will they miss that piece of jigsaw? Will they not? And then we come to United, who, fair play to them, they've had a decent window. They, you know... All started, it seems like ages ago now, all started out with Jaden Sancho. Heaton came in as their backup goalkeeper, a bit of experience there. Varane then came in from Madrid. So then you're thinking, oh, there's a bit of a spine going on. And then out of nowhere, a couple of days before the transfer window, City linked with Ronaldo. He ends up at Old Trafford. So I guess what I want to cover here with you, Cookie, is what kind of stood out for you there? And is there... I mean, we've spoken about the title contenders and, you know, kind of position the tables and stuff. But out of that cluster of clubs, anyone there that you think, oh, you might find them up there this year? I think they're all expected to be up there anyway. I think before it all happened in August, I think everyone is expecting Man City, Chelsea, United and Liverpool to all compete for the title. But now after obviously deadline day has happened and all the new signings and the amazing business that some of the clubs have done, I think Chelsea are sitting there going, we've got this. They've managed to get a lot of players off their books on permanent deals this year. Because mm -hmm. normally you see a list and they have about 30, 40 players go out on loan. I think Bakayoko finally went, Tamori's gone. Tammy Abraham to Roma for 35 million, which I think is a good deal for both teams. And they've reinvested it all on Lukaku. And I think that is the best bit of business for me. And then to really, really rub salt into the wounds, they go and get Sal Niguez on a loan to obligation to buy. I mean, that's just crazy, the squad debt that they've got now. I must admit, midfield was one that kind of strikes me as one they didn't necessarily need. But, you know, I guess if the, deal, if the deal comes along... That quality in midfield, when that comes up and you pounce on it, I mean, that's incredible how they've managed to keep that under the radar. Yeah, I mean, they've done really well there. You know, 
the youth conveyor belt continues. They've got a fair few players. You know, some of the youth players have left the the the, de- the rated youngsters there. Gui went to Palace, obviously Gallagher on loan, not yeah. permanent. Livramento to Southampton and Broger to Southampton on loan there. Livramento is a permanent, just to clarify on that. So look, pound for pound, definitely they've uh, positioned themselves greatly in the market. I just think it just shows their strength when it comes to whether you agree with how they go about doing it or not, the, the strength that they have when it comes to the, uh, the youngsters and the second teams they have there. Much line debate um, about this, but I'm, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts. City, so two things. City bought Grealish as we expected. Didn't solve the elusive striker issue. And United, three on paper, really good signings. Does... The mentality change now with United and are they now title contenders? I think United are closer to Man City. I mean, you add Ronaldo in at any age, you're, you're automatically closer to Man City. Um, I mean, getting Varane in at the back, well, I think that was a good deal. I think that was nearly 40 million quid from Real Madrid when he's 20. He's not. He's in his prime now, 28, and he's been there, done that and won everything. I mean, that will benefit Harry Maguire next to him. I think that's a solid back line. But I think in midfield, I think they just look vulnerable. I just think Ronaldo's not going to do the dirty work up front. If teams get possession of the ball, I'm looking at that midfield going, I'm going, I'm going to take you on. If teams in 10, 15-minute periods of game get any sort of possession against Man United and put a bit of pressure on them, then we'll wait and see if they, they can live up to the pressure. Well, this is something for me and Scott debated on the last pod, and I brought it up because one of the things that stood out for me is the idea that Solskjaer wanted to play with kind of one central midfielder almost, shielding, um, and not two, which, you know, given their, their attacking endeavour, you probably would say, not bad, take teams to the guilt. But... Um, as you rightly say there, they still look like in that midfield. And for me, the problem with that is there's not enough strength in depth or there's not enough know-how in that midfield. When you look at like, so Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, are they really going to do the legwork in order to defend? Is the work rate in there? Not saying they're bad players, but the strengths clearly lie elsewhere and that's further up the pitch. You're asking all of them to work harder which is a dangerous game, especially in the Premier League. And I, I alluded to the fact that does this show, and we've, again, when you've been on the pod here, we, we've discussed this a, a few times when discussing where United are going to finish. Does this show a potential weakness or naivety in Solskjaer's management skills? So what are your thoughts on United? Do you think it elevates them to title contenders? or I think they'll be up there, but I still don't think they'll win a trophy. Because I think there's better teams in our league and in Europe. I think they're vulnerable on midfield. And like you said, I don't think Solskjaer's got it cracked yet. He's got the players. He's got the players and the quality. It's just the tactical nows. And uh, in your opinion, does Solskjaer last the season or does he get the season to get a trophy? He'll get the season to get a trophy. But if it comes April and they're out of everything... Then we'll see. Any changes, bearing in mind the... Um, well, actually, we should go on to Spurs first. So um, we obviously mentioned about Tottenham's uh, business there. So big money sign on Romero, which will be an interesting conversation later on. Uh, Emerson Royal, Barcelona, Saar from Mets, who went straight back on loan as well. And um, Brian Gill and then Galini on loan, uh, goalkeeper as well. Obviously, impressive impressive start for them. Do you see them pushing on? I think they'll definitely push on now that they've got a good centre-back in and Romero, obviously, we'll talk about him a bit more later. Um, yeah, I think Tottenham looks solid, unfortunately. And I mean, I, say, I said this about Harry Kane. I think if he stays and he gets his head right, because there's been a bit of, there's been a couple of questions about his mindset. And obviously what happened in England, which again we'll go into later, if he can get on fire and on all cylinders, I think Tottenham could make it could be one of those that could charge up late if 
you know, one of the four that we've mentioned to have a lapse in form. I think they'll be there to pounce. So you think they'll be there or thereabouts? Definitely above I think, Arsenal. I think, they're a, I think they're a level behind the big four because I don't think they've got enough in midfield. But if Nuno Santo can get it right, if he can get on, because this is a bigger job than it was at Wolves, and he did really well with Wolves, but he got them as high as he could possibly go. But with Tottenham, I think they'll be patient with him. You know, they will, they'll give him the time. Um, if he can stamp his authority and get his tactics on, I mean, we've seen, what, three 1-0 wins. I think that's the name of the game. Don't concede, but we'll see when there's a bit of pressure put on them. Okay. And um, so Spurs, I think, well, to be fair, they surprised me. I thought they'd do a little bit more, especially given the Indombele situation. But obviously, mm. it's been a difficult one to shift. I think they spent most of their energy and effort trying to keep Harry Kane, to be honest. And they've yeah. just gone, oh. And so final thing for me on the kind of big six window, if you like. So there's two things I wanted to ask you. One, will City regret the lack of centre-forward options? And two, um, with regards to Liverpool, did they do enough? Obviously, they're sole signing and they've got a fair bit of criticism from Liverpool fans. In your opinion, did they do enough with the signing of Connor, or is it a case of we'll see what happens in the season? Do you think they've done enough or do you think, think they needed more? I think for Liverpool, they've kind of banked on getting their big names back and all fit and firing. I mean, they had to play Henderson and Fabinho in centre-back most of the season. Now that they're further forward, they've got Van Dijk back, which is obviously a massive... He'll get them 10, 15 points on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if you get a fully fit Henderson, he does a lot for that team and that squad. Fabinho, I think, is one of the best holding midfielders in our league. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of laziness, you know, in regards to signings. I mean, they bought this Conat for big money, which will boost the squad depth. But I think they're missing someone up front. I think you've got Jota in there. But if Firmino or Mane are not playing, kicking on, because let's be honest, Salah is he's a starter all day long. Definitely Capernaum's coming up as well. That's going to be an issue, isn't it? Yeah, they're going to get hit badly with that as well. I think that's where the criticism's coming from as well. I think a lot of Liverpool fans are looking at January and thinking, oh, this is going to be a long month. I guess on the flip side, Liverpool, the Liverpool board will argue, well, simply that's a month of the season, which I think is probably like three league games. And would it be deemed unreasonable to purely spend on the basis of three or four games of the season? Granted, obviously, you can't legislate the increased risk in injuries and obviously with COVID, we don't know the impact of COVID and international games yet but I guess their argument would be in that, as they have done publicly as well as Klopp has kind of backed them up and said look we've got a particular model we stick to it it works for us as a club and, and that's it and you know some people will sit back and admire that other Liverpool think- fans aren't too sure but then if you're talking about the positions of Mane and Salah for me it's very very hard to go to a market that's already inflated and then you know you're practically going to a market, let's face it, to tell someone that they're back up to Salah, Firmino, Mane or Jota, who's already there and established himself. So it's a bit of a, I guess it's a delicate situation. It's difficult. I guess my only focus would be on the older areas of the squad. So Henderson, James Milners um, and those kind of players and whether or not those players are ones that they... But then... On the flip side, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott coming through. So, but I think also in their minds, I think because that team was so dominant for two years, they competed with Man City all the way and were getting 90 plus points. I mean, they got 97 points and didn't win the league. So, I think in their minds, they're thinking this team isn't done yet. They've still got one more year, regarding if everyone's fit. If Salah can get the same goal output, I mean, Mane, you know, Jota can add in. Um, I mean, I like the look of Harvey earlier. He can come in and do a job for four or five games once they're having a Champions League week. I think in their minds, they think they've got one more year. Mm. 
and then they'll see where the market is next year because Sal has been asking for stupid money. I mean, they could throw a spanner in the works for Kylian Mbappe. You know, their reports don't seem to go away too far from Liverpool. Well, interesting that one as well. Um, obviously, Madrid didn't time up on deadline day, though, which, you know, I mean, I guess it just shows the size of Paris and Germain, the fact that I they mean, were able to reject 200 million euros a year before I mean, that's insane. Which is mental in my book, but maybe just shows that two hundred million pound is clearly a drop in the ocean, or two hundred million euros, I should say. Yeah, um, I just think in their minds, I just think they've got one more year. They're going to look at the market. You know, they've got they've got fans coming in. They've got revenue. They're going to do what they can. I mean, going to Europe on European night and Anfield is difficult anyway. So I think they'll have a run in Europe, and then they'll look at the situation then and be like right because Milner will be 36 Henderson they've just given a new deal will he still have the same output then not sure and then see what they can do with the Salah situation will they cave in to give him the money he so desperately wants or do you just look at it and think right we'll move you on now and have a go at getting someone in like Mbappe so given Given the current predicament, then, and we've covered off the big six there, um, and just briefly before we go, just a general overview of the rest of the kind of transfer window, based on the business of the big hitters and the big clubs and those that are going to have a say in the title race, any changes from you on your opinion? No, I've still got Chelsea, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, and then Liverpool as a four, and then Tottenham will be fifth. There we go. Mystic Cookie has uh, laid down the cards. I was right about Kane, though. Fair play. No, you were. And fair play to Levy as well for holding it out. Um, not going to speculate on to why that was hashed up, but depending on your what you read, agent w- was part of the problem. But uh, we're not here to, uh, you know, we're not here to speculate and lay it at people's doors. So we won't... Yeah bring them into the frame unnecessarily. But um, no, that was uh, obviously the big saga of the summer that ultimately didn't end up resolved. So we shall see. And do you think City regret that? Or do you think they stand firm and steady? I think City will stand firm because I have to say that. But I think I think the owners will be going out and think, hmm, we should have gone for a little bit harder than we did come the end of the season. Okay. And if we just look, quickly wrap up the rest of the best of the rest, if you like. So Leeds were pretty quiet, to be fair, until a deal was done for Dan James, big money signing, 30 million, two, two years in the making, you could argue, given the, uh, the history behind that one. I'm not quite sure where Sky Sports get this figure from, but next to Leeds, they have Brentford at spend 31 million and Palace at 28 and a half million. I can tell you for free now, Palace has spent the best part of £68 million, so just shy of £70 million. So not quite sure where that figure is uh, has come from. The add-ons and all that sort of thing, don't yeah. they? They don't include that. And then um, Newcastle, of course, um, Sol Sign and Willock, £25 million from your club. So I guess my next question is, out of the best from the rest... Was there anything else? Obviously, Norwich were also busy as well. I'm doing them an injustice because their net spend is based on net spend. But anything there that surprised you? Anyone there that you think, oh, they've had a pretty good window. If that clicks, then that could that could be something. I think Villa. I think Villa had a. I think Leon Bailey could be one of the under signings of the season as well as Danny Ings. Leeds getting Dan James is a good signing for him. Oh, West Ham. I've got to give a shout out to West Ham. I mean, they've tapped into a market that no one else has and it seems to work with Suchek, Cifal. Um, They've got Alex Crowell, Czech Republic as well. He's highly rated in that Czech Republic setup, And they got Vlasic in for big money from CSKA Moscow, which they did need someone in because their pursuit of Lingard kind of fell flat, which did surprise me. Yeah, it's a bit of a risk on Lingard's part, I feel that. I think it's a big risk on Lingard, given what he, how he played the other night. You know, he needs to play football. And the fact that he's gone loyal and stayed 
with United could backfire on him. But, you know, West Ham acted on it and they didn't hang around for him. They've gone and got someone in that position. No, it's interesting. They, as I say, for Lingard, I think maybe he was brought into the hype of, of Ronaldo. I, I don't know. It's a bit of a strange one because he, he certainly looked like at the end of last season he didn't have a future. When you look at the depth United have in attack as well now going forward, I don't... Where does he go? Where does he fit? I can't put my finger on that one. Um, I really can't. That is one that I thought he was nailed on to move on. A lot remains to be seen on that one. He could be a key figurehead again and maybe it will work out for him again. But I just, I don't see it. It's a very, very strange one. But yeah, and it wouldn't be right for me to conclude this part without mentioning Palace. Finally. You got a striker. You got a striker in. Got a striker in. Which I think, look, there's always a bit of scepticism when you buy players from the Scottish League. But I think, you know, goal scorers are hard to come by. And... You know, he's proven even outside of the, you know, the games in Scotland, even at Champions League level, he's, you know, performed for them. And he's always been held in quite high regard. Obviously, when he was younger at PSG, he didn't quite make it. But whether that's down to application or not, I don't know. But I think in terms of market, Palace have got to be really happy. And the, what I think I was listening to an interview by Paris, just to keep this brief, but we were quite lucky in the sense that we had like you were mentioning, Liverpool next year will sit there and have a bunch of cash ready to go. We were much like that. And a lot of the media were doing this lazy journalism of, oh, all these players out of contract, what a disaster. Mm. Palace the whole time, though, clearly from their transfer business, as you can see, the, si- the six main key players that left, they replaced them. No one can argue Vieira's got the tools. I said it last year, last week on the pod, if we get a striker in, Vieira's got no excuses now. That, in terms of that bottom half level of club, that squad, pound for pound, fitness permitting, is one of the best on paper, I think. And that's not just me being biased, but any team that can have Conor Gallagher, Eze, Will Hughes, MacArthur, Schlupp, Zaha, Benteke, you know, granted they're inconsistent, but hey, if they were consistent, they wouldn't be clubs like Palace. So I think from our perspective, we couldn't have asked for more. I would have maybe said a winger, but then with the emergence of Raksaki, Vieira seems sold on him, so he kind of solves that problem. If we get to January and he doesn't quite take to the team, then maybe it's a problem they can look at, but I don't think it was worth them chucking 20 million quid away on deadline day as a panic. So I think overall for Palace, they'll, they'll be happy with that. And I'm delighted with it now. It's just getting everyone fit and uh, seeing where he can take it. So no, no complaints from me on that one, to be fair. I like your new boy, Edward. I've seen a little bit up of him in Scotland. His head got turned a little bit last year. He wasn't quite the same player. But if you get the striker he was the season before, which I think... Him coming down to the Premier League kind of proves that he wants to test himself mm. among some of the best defenders in the world. You know, then good luck to him. I think you've got a good 10, 10 12 goals there. I mean, you know, you've got pace behind him in Zaha and Eze. Like you said, Gallagher looks very, very lively. I think you could be on for a good season there. Pretty decent on that front. So, that was the transfer window. Obviously, we can't cover every club, but a fair bit of money spent, some interesting signings across the board. And as ever now, we just need to uh, see how it all pans out until January. So, as I said at the beginning of the show, it's not been quite the same this week. It's been a fairly timid and quiet week, but England, of course, got their World Cup qualifying campaign back up and running. Um, off the back of the Euro heartache, it was the first time the England squad put together in competitive action. Hungry to begin with. And um, we were really, really hungry because we won 4-0. And the small matter of Andorra on Sunday, which, again, pretty, pretty comfortable. Probably not much to talk about in that game because no disrespect to Andorra, but, well, and hungry to a point. Um, although hungry have some good youngsters and a decent team, but not really results you um, 
were shocked at Cookie, to be fair, am I right in saying? I think there was more headlines off the field with the Hungary game more than anything, to be honest. That's a case of working them out in the first half and then the second half, you just turn on the afterburners. And to be honest with you, I think we have got to be in the top three nations in Europe right now. Mm. I mean, the, the fact that you said that we're looking so comfortable, I mean, four or five years ago, I'd be biting your arm off for that. We used to have to work up asses off for them. But now they can just turn it on whenever they want. And that is that is elite level. We're talking an international yeah. something we haven't had. I don't think we've ever been this good in our generation. And what Southgate is doing, I mean, there was a lot of talk about him saying, "Oh, he might go after the Euros." You know, has he got it in him to take us to the World Cup? But I tell you what, he's got that team absolutely perfect. That whole squad, you go through it. No matter who you put in there, it's like for like. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing from the international games to Southgate was, well, not lulling on the Euros and, you know, putting on a performances to make sure that we were well and truly, you know, knocked it out of our system. And look, they seem like for years, even though the international break doesn't really infuse me with any enthusiasm or you know, joy, um, it definitely seems like a, a group of players that are hungry and willing to work for each other, which is refreshing. And I'll look mm. forward to the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I think, as I say, results-wise, you wouldn't expect anything less. But, um, yeah, it was important. I think the manner of the performances could have been, at risk, especially in the hungry game, a bit disjointed and stuff. And given... I'm not going to give any limelight to it, but given what the players had to put up within that game, the fact that they kind of got through the game, I wouldn't say unscathed, but you know they had the right mentality, managed mm-hmm. to carry it through and get the result and job done, is kudos to them. They shouldn't have had to, but there we go. And yeah, the Andorra game, you know, back at Wembley and everything again. But yeah, I think for Southgate, the most important thing was just regrouping, making sure the Euros was out of the uh, equation and. Uh, and going from there. So not really much to learn, but a comfortable qualifying campaign ahead, I feel, for England now, which I guess probably is a value when we look at it and is important, given how clustered and congested the season is probably going to feel and going into next year as well, with it being a, I think it's a November, December schedule for the World Cup. Yeah, it's a November, December World Cup Um, next year, which uh, that could be interesting. Which is, you know, important, I guess, in that regard get the job done, and then... I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of what's going to be the ramifications for next season. I'm sure we'll learn more when we get to the end of the season, going into the summer. But yeah, the that England team is in a very, very, very good place right now. Yeah, no, they are, they are. And I hope, look, Southgate seemed to learn the lessons from the previous World Cup and the Euros. Unfortunately, didn't quite learn enough lessons in the final of the Euros, but hopefully learns enough next time round. I mean we we did we did pick at everything but at the end of the day it was a one one draw. I see it as a one one draw and it's a lot of it with penalties. No that's fair. That's you a know. fair point. A fair point. So yeah I mean that's England in a nutshell to be honest. Um Kane obviously back amongst the scoring which I think is important as well given some of the criticism he had over the summer. His mindset is clearly back on it and I'm sure Spurs regardless of the opinion of the the saga of City will be happy with that. Scott got his cane shirt back on, I reckon. <laughs> I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. He's back in the fan club. He's back in the fan club. And as I mentioned, really, for me, it was quite an uneventful week and I kind of dragged myself through it. But I guess if we're talking about moments in the international break, uh, one which I found quite comical, which lightened my mood over the weekend, San Marino scoring a goal in a qualifier. <laughs> Did they actually? I didn't know that. I mean, I don't know how and why they end up qualifying the way they do, but they did indeed score a goal. I wondered what the the whole palaver was about, but they, you know, albeit they got beat seven one by Poland, but they scored they scored a goal nonetheless. And the second one, the second thing I wanted to cover off, just for the sheer comic factor of it in the end it won't be so comical for the likes of Villa and Tottenham and all the clubs that are involved in it but the Brazil-Argentina game 
absolute shambles. Some would say it got messy. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Some things didn't make sense to me on that, but I'll tell you what. There leaves a lot to be desired by the Premier League clubs that whether or not they sanctioned for them to fly out and if they didn't, why they went ahead and did it anyway. My understanding was every Premier League club had an agreement that any player that was going to a red-listed country, which predominantly was South America, clubs weren't allowed to release them. Now, I believe Tottenham was not aware that Romero, their new signing, by the way, as well as Lo Celso, went out there anyway. So I don't know what's going to happen there. And Villa, well, I mean, I think they must have been aware because that's come out and said that they're not going to do anything about Martinez and Buendia flying out. My problem with all of this is, is <laughs> we laugh, it was farcical, is one, why let the game you know, kick off from the Brazilian authorities' perspective, just postpone the game before kickoff. But on the flip side of it, it was clear from the Premier League, very, very clear, that regrettably players wouldn't be released for international duty if they were going to red list of countries, as you mentioned. I know Tottenham, when Nuno was asked about it before the international break, he was like, we have to see, it's difficult. But it just, the lack of unity, I guess, in the whole situation. I mean, if you look at Spurs, they now face an early kickoff against Palace, 12.30, Sellers Park. Uh, it's going to disrupt their preparations. With no Romero, with no Lacano, <laughs> and with no Sanchez. Now, normally yeah. I would say that wouldn't be an issue, but you have to assume Sanchez probably would have started because he has been starting for Spurs. All of a sudden, they go into that game without two of their main centre-backs. Then you look at Villa. We talk about Spurs, but you look at Villa, Buendia, Emi Martinez as well. So goalkeeper and your, your new playmaker. What's not abundantly clear, and I haven't seen enough post-reaction to kind of garner this, but what's not abundantly clear to me is did they have the permission of the clubs to go ahead and fly out there? If they didn't, then that's quite a big two fingers up to the senior leadership team of those I believe, I believe Villa did, but Tottenham didn't. Which rings alarm bells to me, especially when you're talking about a £57 million new signing. You're not only talking these internationals, but you look further down the line, I mean, October, November, I mean, if the same thing happens again, that's that could be potentially three or four games that they miss. My thing would be, now, if you're Spurs or whatever, you look at November, December, if you assume the same trajectory now, and we're in the summer now, seemingly going autumn, winter, when COVID and things like this are more prevalent, you would assume mm. that restrictions would be tighter all the same. So then what happens there? And okay, look, I get, there's a lot of questions to be had because you've also got the small matter of the African Cup of Nations coming up in January, Feb as well, which... I don't know off the top of my head at the moment the state of play in regards to the quarantine rules. I know some countries in Africa are deemed amber and some are red. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the... And to that January FA Cup pat schedule as it is, and it, it poses a lot of problems. And I think the fallout from this will be the Premier League had a statement, had a line of communication, and it was seemingly ignored. Not by all. But some clubs and some players and individuals. So it doesn't sit right. And I get it was made into a bit of a spectacle and you can agree to disagree and say, well, the authorities should have just postponed it before they went out on the pitch. But at the end of the day, protocols were there and protocols were broken, not just on a local level in Brazil, but also at a Premier League level. It was clear what the stance was. And given the situation we face, the unprecedented situation we find ourselves in, surely someone has to just sit them down and be like, I'm really sorry, but it's a no-go. But then the yeah. fact that you've got FIFA on the other side of it, threatening to take action, just shows that there's no unity on what the answer should be. It's not a good look, I would say, for the footballing bodies. So um, it perked up the international break, to be honest, gave me something to chuckle at, watching the... Uh, 
the Brazilian health authorities invade the pitch. Anything you wanted to add on the international break, Cookie, while we're there? I can't really think of too much else other than some other home nations might have been in action, but is there anything else that twinkled your eye across well, the action? There was a couple that there well, there was a couple of standout results. One was home nations, where uh, Mr. Gareth Bale has found his score in touch for Wales again, scored himself a hat trick against Belarus when they needed it because Wales were having problems with um, COVID issues. A lot of their big names missed out on going over. I believe the game wasn't played in Belarus either, which made it even more impressive. And the other thing, well, I say the other thing really, is um, there was only one major upset I could see, and that was um, Spain lost their first qualifier for a World Cup since 1993 when they lost to Sweden 2-1 which oh, wow. I think is a remarkable stat given Spain's stature I would have thought I'd, they would have lost a few games in the early noughties but no I've double checked the fact it is true there we are you're at it again with your facts aren't you I know I'm getting good at this well I'm glad to say that as we roll out of the international break we can now focus on the Premier League being back. Yes, Real football. Real football, that's right. That's right. Club football is back. So, I guess the first thing is, unfortunately, although I'm sure Scott, when he comes to edit, our dulcet tones, you'll find a way of um, hedging in the uh, infamous Wheel of Wonder. And I'll leave a pause in here for a great effect. We obviously normally pick three games to predict. Scott not being with us, there's two of us, so make the sums, one missing, me and Cookie, and I'll allow Cookie to do the honours since. He's a very much a valued guest. First things first, before we look ahead to the games, give us your picks, Cookie. So two games, you've got two games to pick this week. Which ones do you fancy? Which are your standout ones? I'm going to go with the fallout of the international break because I think everything we've talked about is going to be quite significant. I'm going to go Chelsea Villa and oh, the second one, I'm going to go Watford Wolves. Oh, interesting. You've mixed it up. I think that could be a six-pointer when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I think that could be a big... I know we're early, but I think I just could see the little six-point games that come up every week, even in this early stage. And I think Watford Wolves is definitely one of them. Interesting. Go on, I know what one you're going for. You, you threw me off guard there. I, of course, now I picked Palace last time, but that was because they were underdogs and West Ham were in form. And look, it's not going to be a weekly occurrence, but it seems only logical given it's the early kickoff, given the situation with the Spurs players and the international break, given that we've done our business fairly early, and we've got a limited amount of players away on international duty. I, if you haven't guessed already, I'm going to go for the Palace Spurs game. That means you can't pick Palace next, you know. That's twice in a row. But I do. I was hoping that would be picked because I think this international break is quite significant for both Spurs and Villa. So I think that'd be rude not to pick them games, especially when I've got results in my mind of what I think is going to happen. <laughs> Say no more. Well, we won't digress that too, too much. I'll go Palace Spurs. I'm going to go 2 1 Palace. You've given them a goal. Oh, because I'm going to go 2 0 Palace. Oh, I think it's disrupted them. And I think you might get a bit. I think Edouard, I'm back in Edouard to get a debut goal. So I'm going to go 2 0. You've said that, and now Harry Kane will bag a hat trick. So thank you. <laughs> and he, he does have a habit, him and Son have a habit of scoring against Palace. So we shall see. We shall see. So go on then. Your Chelsea Villa, your Watford Wolves double header. Do Scott proud. What, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm going to, well, because I said Chelsea Villa, because I, I think with what happened, I don't think it would make much of a difference. 
only the fact I think Chelsea will hit them hard. And I'm going to say 4-0 Chelsea. Ooh. I think, yeah, I, I, can't, I think Chelsea are pairing at the minute. And if Lukaku's hungry on the day, I do fear for Villa. I've actually gone 3-1. I'm in agreement with you. I think it'll be a fairly solid, fairly solid, convincing performance. Giving them a goal again. You go both teams to score. Yeah, I always always back. Well, Villa have got the goals in them, to be fair. It just seems like one of those games they'll probably nick a goal. And obviously Palace, well, I I can't see them not conceding. So that's why I've gone for 2-1 there. Watford Wolves, the uh, the humdinger that you dropped and the wild card that you dropped in there. What's your thoughts? Wolves have been very unlucky. If anyone has seen their game so far, how on earth have they not scored a goal is beyond me. So I'm going to back them to break that duck. And I'm going to say 2-1 Wolves. I've gone exactly the same as you. Oh, you're just copying me now at this point. <laughs> I, I do think, given their United performance against United, I do think they will score. And I think they'll win as well. It depends what Watford turns up, because, of course, we had Watford look good on the opening day of the season, then look dreadful, and then made a course. So, and they looked OK against Spurs. So, of course, it'd be criminal of us to not discuss it. Obviously, we've covered the lunchtime and evening kickoffs, but God forbid the one that's been cursed of the 3 p.m. blackout that everyone seems to be piping up a fuss about. Ronaldo debut at Old Trafford. Do you see any surprises? Or it's a matter of case of when he scores, isn't it? Not if. I don't think he'll start though, Ronaldo. I think Solskjaer will bench him. Ooh, um, you reckon? You reckon? Yeah, I think you'll bench him. I, I personally hope that um, Sancho gets to start. Um, yes, yeah, well, he's he'll be, about a bit more. He had a knock, didn't he, though, during the international? Yeah, but I, I can't see no other surprises now. I've got United win. And I guess, you know, so just to cover off the rest of the games that are going to be played, we're going to be blessed on the Monday night football with Everton Burnley. What a spectacle. Um, oh, Leeds, Leeds Liverpool on the Sunday has the makings to be a tasty game. Southampton, West Ham. Again, both teams score goals. Be interesting to see if West Ham can pick up off the back of the international break where they left off. Leicester, Man City, one we haven't mentioned there, but pretty big game for that for both teams. City will obviously want to get a win after the international break and lay down a marker again after that Arsenal performance. Brentford, Brighton, of course, that should be a really good game on paper. Both teams playing pretty well at the moment, and I'm sure both be happy with how um, their season is shaping up early doors. And um, Building up, go on. It would be fitting to leave this one till last, but I've literally gone backwards to front on the the listings on Sky. Your beloved Arsenal cookie at the Emirates, Norwich City, 3pm. The bottom two. I'll be honest, I'm struggling to think of a way Norwich can trouble you. No disrespect to Norwich. No, I, I, I think this is where our season starts. I think they'll be ready and um, we'll, we'll be, um, I'll take any kind of win. Even if it's 4-3, I don't care. As long as we end up winning and getting three points on the board. And uh, just to play devil's advocate, if Arteta wasn't to get a result on Saturday, where do Arsenal go from there? Is it is it time? Is it time? Uh, it's got to be, isn't it? It's got to be. They've backed them in the transfer market. They get no points after four games, which seems unimaginable. I mean, where does Arteta go from there? How can how can you see him picking it up? How do the players pick themselves up if if that happens? The interesting thing for me, I'll be interested to get your opinion on this, and we might as well go through it because. We didn't have anything else to talk about other than the international break. But if this doesn't pick up and say the worst does happen and Arteta does end up being relieved of his duties. Now, I've, I've seen the stories of Conte potentially being contacted and his first choice as Arteta's replacement. But for me on paper, it doesn't seem to work. I don't see Conte taking up the challenge because I don't see Conte being happy with 
the squad available versus the money he'd get to spend to improve it. And secondly, ignore Conte out of the picture at the moment. If the worst was to happen to Arteta, who on earth do you think, whether they're in the market or not at the moment, comes into the club and picks up the pieces and deals with the players that are being dealt with them? I mean, there's one guy that does stand out to me, but I don't know if Arsenal are even willing to go down that route and start negotiating with clubs for their managers. But Brendan Rodgers, the job he's done at Leicester, and even before then with Celtic, I think he'd be a very, very, very good fit. He can get them on board. He can get them together working as a team. You know, I like his style of play, his character. That's an interesting one. I didn't think of him. And the reason I didn't think of him is I thought that might be out of the equation for them. But that's the least if Arsenal can compete and say to Leicester, look, how much for your manager? Because I, I, if I'm Leicester and if I'm Rodgers and I'm looking at that going, do I really want to leave this for Arsenal? I mean, I'd get a bigger budget. There's no doubt they'll keep pumping on money in until they get it right, because I think that's the route we're going to go down. Will he get what he wants? You know, because I look at that and I think, well, I've got Madison, Vardy, Barnes. The way he's developed Barnes is incredible. and doesn't get talked off enough. They're defensively solid. He's got leaders. I mean, for me, he's a no-brainer. Because I personally don't want Conte in there. I don't think he's the answer. No, interesting. I just want to gauge your thoughts on that because one thing that really crossed my mind is if not Arteta, where do you go from there? It's a bit of a, a bit of an interesting one because the squad that Arsenal have, while it's stronger in some areas, I always maintain that up front you've got options, but to have Lacazette and Aubameyang fall off a cliff in terms of form is probably not it's the problem. Really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still expecting a win on Saturday, though. Yeah, I mean, look... I look, at, I look at that Norwich team, I think, where's the threat going to come from? I think for you, you're lucky in regards to the Norwich game being first and the Burnley game coming after that, because mm, that's a way of... Yeah. I think if it was the other way around and flipped, that Burnley game would have been a tough one. Um, and even a draw there wouldn't have been good enough. But I do no. think at the Emirates against Norwich, I, I don't, and again, it's no disrespect to Norwich, I just don't see them having the tools to hurt you enough to cause a problem. So I'm saying three points comfortably, you're saying three points comfortably, so it will turn out to be a Norwich win. But, you know, we'll see. But I do, I do think now for Arteta, the next two games, especially with Burnley and, uh, and Norwich, are critical to how he gets himself out of this mess. If he gets two wins, I think it's game on again. If he doesn't, then um, depending on if that's four points he gets or no points or two points, I think there could be trouble brewing. Kesara, what will be, will be. Um, but yeah, needless to say, I don't think you'll struggle on Saturday. And if you do, then there's got to be some serious questions asked of Arteta and the application of the rest of the team as well, to be fair. So that's us, episode 15 wrapped. As I say, fairly quiet on all fronts. Calm before the storm, really, waiting for this uh, all to kick off again. I always feel like the first international break is the most painful because it comes too soon, in my opinion, as the season gets up and running. So... I will be at Selhurst on Saturday, so I'll be covering that game off in a fair bit of detail. I will no doubt on my journey back keep tabs on uh, the Emirates and what's going on there. And um, we will be back next week, or Scott will be back. Are you dropping out again next week? I'll be back in two weeks' time. Hopefully we're sitting on six points by then. There we go. So... Formation change again next week. Scott will be back. Cookie will join us in a couple of weeks. Um, we'll go through the predictions. We'll talk about the first round of games back after the international break. 
and hopefully for Cookie, he'll see Arsenal off the bottom of the table. Thanks again, folks. Apologies again for delaying the previous pod. I'm Jason. He's Cookie. And until next week, see you later. See you later.